You're listening to R&B's On The Verge podcast series, where we look at disruption through the lens of opportunity. My name is Willem van der Post, and this is the R&B On The Verge series, where we take a look at disruption, but through the lens of opportunity. And joining me today is Daniel Zinman from R&B in the investment banking side. Dan, what is it that you do at RMB? So, Willem, as you said, I sit in the investment bank at RMB, and one of the areas within the investment bank is the infrastructure finance team, which is where I sit. Uh, there are about 24 professionals, um, predominantly in Johannesburg, and we've got uh, two colleagues in, in Lagos. And we look at all things infrastructure. Um, so that's your traditional types of infrastructure, roads, rail, port, logistics, airports, etc. But one of the areas we cover is power, and within that subset is renewable energy. So uh, we've been instrumental in both funding and advising on numerous renewable energy projects across South Africa and the region. Um, predominantly, as I said, actually providing senior debt and in certain instances, equity funding and preference share funding to those transactions. Um, I've got to pause you right there, because if I'm not a banker, what you've just said has gone over my head. Sure. Just quickly demystify investment banking per se, like if you had to put that in a nutshell. So in other words, we, we fund projects, renewable energy projects. We provide debt to those projects so that they can get built, so that they can operate properly, and so that they can ultimately sell power into the grid. Right. So we've been very involved in the South African program, which has been an enormous success. Um, we've provided, I think now it's close to about 20 billion rand worth of funding into those transactions um, across the capital spectrum. So as I said, we provide debt predominantly, but we also sometimes fund some of the shareholders. We fund their equity contributions to I those see. projects as well. Okay, cool. So now if you're uh, doing infra, Renewable energy is quite a new theme, and so a lot of your thinking has now had to change. What, what are these macro changes that you're seeing happening in the renewable space versus the traditional way of producing power? Absolutely. So I think the, the two things. If you look back when this program started, and I'm talking South Africa specific now, um, it was it was very new to, to this country. It wasn't that new to the rest of the world, but we had to upskill ourselves. We had, um, we had general project finance investment banking skills, but we needed then to apply them to the specific sector. And, you know, RMB along with the rest of the market has gone up that curve. But as you correctly say, there are global developments that are happening in the space all the time. It is a it is a um, an industry that's constantly evolving, that's constantly changing, and we need to be up to date with those chains and what's happening globally. As an example, if I look at, uh, and this is, uh, you know, quantitative, so quite easy to understand, if you look at the prices at which solar PV was being bid into these programs in 2011, and the prices at which deals were closed, I think, last year, they've come down by about 75%. And that's, and, and that's a combination of technological advancements. So solar panels are becoming cheaper. They're becoming more efficient. Um, it's also a combination of, and in, co- in combination with that is the cost of capital. So if you look at us as a, as a, as a, as a funder, if we assess the risk associated with the solar uh, PV project in 2011 when we were doing our first one, and the way we assess the risk now, it's different. There's more track record. We've seen the things being, the projects being built. We've seen them operate fantastically well. So our assessment of risk is that it's lower. We can then provide capital, um, which is cheaper. And likewise, from a shareholder return point of view, he's now not looking at X return, he's looking at X minus return. Mm. So it, it, all of those things combine to, to, to lower the price considerably. And that's a, that's a phenomenon that's happening not only in South Africa, um, 
globally. Um, some of the prices in South Africa are uh, competitive with some of the lowest uh, tariffs in the world, not least of which is because we have excellent solar radiation, we have excellent wind along the coast. But uh, this isn't a uniquely South African phenomenon. This is something that's happening globally. So what are some of those price points? I think you know, if I consider my electricity bill, I know what I pay per month in rands. I have actually no translation back into kilowatt hours mm. or my consumption per se. I just say I pay more, I pay less. Yes. So when you talk about these price points, does this mean at some stage I'm going to be paying less? Theoretically, yes. Um, look, at the moment, to be honest, renewable energy probably makes up around around 5% of the gigawatt hours that are produced. So without getting too technical, um, if ESCOM has a fleet of, of, of um, generation capacity of, of plants, they also have, there are a couple of these independent power producers that are littered across the country, predominantly renewable. There are also some gas plants. Um, and, and that all contributes to the overall cost of electricity. But they, and, and from those plants, there's a certain number of, of gigawatt hours that are produced every year. About 5% of that comes currently from renewable energy. But if you look at the integrated resource plan that was published by government around a month ago or so, the intention is strongly to increase that percentage. They're looking to have um, around uh, around um, 6 to 6.5% of, of energy in the future being, by 2030, being um, provided by solar PV and around 18% from wind. So you can see how they're trying to increase those renewable energy um, uh, proportions of power. Okay, to, so, sorry, just to answer your last question, just around around um, cost. Yes. Um, so at the moment, you, most um, most uh, end users are pay, paying, call it a one rand twenty to one rand fifty per kilowatt hour. We uh, we closed a wind deal last year under the renewable energy program in South Africa, which was the lowest bid tariff to date in the program. That was at fifty five point nine rand cents. So to give you a sense, that's around half of what, less than half of what you're paying. Obviously, there are add-ons and levies, et cetera, which, and municipality charges, which is, all f- you know, which is all fair. But to give you a sense, the price point should be coming down on the renewable side. The issue that we do have in South Africa as well is that, unfortunately, our coal plants are old. They, the capex relating to those plants was written off literally decades ago. So the price at which they're generating is really just the variable cost. Exactly. It's the variable cost of running them. As you bring new plants online, Madupi Kusile, which to be fair, have had their own you know, construction issues, the overall cost will rise because of the fact that you now have to, you now have to amortize that capital cost as well and not just the variable cost. Okay. So where is your finance exposure? Is it in ESCOM product, uh, projects or is it in these IPPs as you term? So it's, it's, in RP, it's, it's in these IPPs. So if I can give you a, a, a kind of rough straw man of how a structure works, you'll have developers who'll, who'll, who'll develop a project. They will then decide that they want to bid it into one of these rounds. The, the government has these in this renewable energy program has various opportunities or windows where you can bid in. There have been five of them so far. We're hoping for another one to be launched in Q1 next year. Uh, they will then partner up with financial investors, in, international local shareholders, including a, 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 there, is a, there is a requirement for at least 40% to be owned by South African shareholders and 30% to be owned by BEE shareholders. And they will then bid a project into one of these rounds. Um, that's set up as a special purpose vehicle. Um, and 
in the analysis and the adjudication of the various bids, and it's normally heavily oversubscribed, there's a weighting of 70% tilted towards the price, 30% to the socioeconomic development criteria that the project's bid. Job creation. Exactly. Job creation, How much, you know, what your BE ownership is, what your South African ownership is. Exactly. Um, they will then adjudicate who the winners are. This special purpose vehicle into which these shareholders will invest is the entity into which we lend. So we, we will then lend to the project, and you're effectively lending to, to nothing. They will then use that money to pay a third-party contractor to come and build the plant for you in, in, with a, in a, within a specified time at a specified price, uh, and then ultimately with the, with the goal of then generating energy, which will then be used, which will then be sold to ESCOM under a long-term contract called a power purchase agreement. And on the back of those cash flows, they will then pay their op- operational costs, pay their debt back to a bank like ourselves, and then make the shareholders their requisite return. How long are those contracts typically? 20 years. So it's a standard contract. Um, the program, I think, in, in South Africa is 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 has been lauded internationally and, and, and rightly so. It's won a number of awards. I think one was from Thomson Reuters and another one from EnergyNet, at least that's two that I know of, um, because it really has been a, a very successful program. The, the, the program came, uh, you know, came a bit unstuck for about three years um, where there were, no new, there were no new rounds, there were no new opportunities to bid, and that had quite a devastating consequence on the, the emergence of this industry and the, the, the development of the industry, as you can imagine, not just for, from the perspective of the, the parties who wanted to invest in these deals and the lenders who wanted to advance cash to the deals, but also you know, um, corollary industries. So, for example, there was a, um, a wind turbine tower manufacturer, local industry being created in the Eastern Cape, that had to shut its doors because there were no more opportunities you know, that they could see on the horizon because they didn't know if there was going to be another round of bidding or when it was going to occur. We're hopeful now that with the change in dispensation and the, and the move towards independent power producers um, by, by the current uh, government, that those sorts of industrial, those sort of industries will then spring up again. So this is very positive around energy entrepreneurs, right? If IPP is a, is a, is a business type that you're able to enter into, the problem, of course, is potential bad debt if you look at a state-owned enterprise that right. has 500 billion rand in, and counting mm. in debt. Um, what do we say to those entrepreneurs? And you as a financier, surely you're looking at that as well and saying, yeah, PV's got lower risk, but the guy who's paying for this is at risk. Absolutely right. So, And one of the nuances about these, these type of structures, which is a typical kind of limited recourse project finance structure, is that if you if that particular plant doesn't make money, you've got no recourse anywhere else. Hmm. So you've got to get paid back. So it's a fair question. It's a good question. Two, a couple of things. So one, the the obligation of ESCOM to pay under that power purchase agreement, under that PPA, is guaranteed by the government. Okay, so if ESCOM doesn't pay, you can go to government to say, well, ESCOM hasn't paid. You need to pay us, right? So you effectively have backstopped. ESCOM risk now for, for government risk. But then you can ask me the same question, what about the sovereign debt issue? Um, and there are two points. One is, one is uh, there's, a, uh, there's a risk, or at least there's, there's a, from a government's perspective, to default on that sort of debt would have incredible consequences for all their other debt. If you aren't paying under private contracts, that that's the you know that's the kind of default that triggers a whole num a whole bunch of other defaults under your sovereign debt. The the other two things I will say is this: one is that in the at least in our portfolio, none of none of the plants have ever been paid late. 
by ESCOM. Oh, wow. And part of the reason for that, and it's also important to understand in terms of the way these deals are structured is, and, and, and the way the energy industry as a whole works in South Africa and specifically for ESCOM, is one of the myths that's, that's been created is that is that the renewable energy deals projects are so expensive, the tariffs they're charging, it's crippling ESCOM. That's one of the reasons that they're in so much financial difficulty. And that is a complete misnomer, hmm. right? The way that NURSA allocates um, ESCOM's tariff increases every year on the multi-year price determination, which I won't bore you with all the, the details, but if essentially the cost of those RPPs is a straight pass-through. So they, they go to NURSA with the application for a trust increase, and one of the inputs into that is what they have to pay to the IPPs, both renewable and, the, and their two gas-fired plants as well. That, is, that, that estimation of what they're going to have to pay in the coming one, two, three years is a complete pass-through. It's never debated. That is exactly the way the price determination works. So, yes, if, if I, 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 I concede the point that if renewable energy is very expensive, which we can is another myth we can debunk um, – then that hits the end consumer. That that's that we can debate, but it doesn't hit ESCOM's pocket. It is a straight pass through between them. Okay, so now if I'm looking at global trends, firstly, I'm concerned when I hear price increases in electricity or generation of electricity, given that exponential technologies are abundant, they are bringing the unit cost down as their capabilities increase. I see Elon Musk launching a Tesla product that is a, looks like a roof tile. And it essentially helps me get rid of my entire grid together with a battery so that when there isn't sun, that I can produce my own power. Grid defection, really. Mm. Grid defection is a problem, right? Because I still have overheads in ESCOM that need to be covered. And as a consequence, now my price for electricity actually goes up. Absolutely. It's a rock and hard place. You're absolutely right. And this is what's commonly referred to as the utility death spiral. Um, And this, again, worth noting that this is a global phenomenon. This is not something that is peculiar to ESCOM. I would, however, say that the problem is perhaps more acute with ESCOM, um, you know, given past uh, past excesses, should we say. Um, so the, the problem is perhaps exacerbated with ESCOM. But ultimately, utilities globally need to change the way their, their business model. That's right. Ultimately, um, and South Africa will move this way with, at whatever pace of change. In fact, even interesting enough, there was a, there was a development, I think, yesterday or today in the, with, with, the, with the Western Cape, which we can talk about. But ultimately, we are moving to a more decentralized grid. What does that mean? That means that essentially you're not going to have the old model where you've got some massive power stations, in our case, located predominantly in Pumalanga or Vitbank, in the Vitbank area, um, big coal-fired stations which, with massive transmission lines that ultimately – distribute the generation across the country. So in the old model, you'll have pockets of generation, and then that power is then sent across the country. What they talk about a decentralized grid is where all over the country, from a micro, micro scale to, and when I say that, I mean your house or my house, to industrial facilities or mines, etc., will generate their own power. Now that can be, that can be, the ultimate aim is that that can actually then be used for, for their own consumption, but also sold into the grid. If there's, excess. if there's excess, exactly right. Now we're slowly moving towards a world where you can. We have moved towards a world where you can generate for yourself. We haven't yet got to a place where you can sell into the grid, and that's something that will come hopefully in the not too distant future. But I think we are some way away. The one one development, and and these things take time. There's obviously legislative, regulatory changes that need to happen. There's a there's a there's a there's a kind of 
zeitgeist changing that needs to be happen that needs to be happened in government as well needs to happen in government but one of the developments that actually happened i think yesterday was that um minister mantash said that the western cape who's been campaigning for some time now to generate to at least to buy power itself from rpp so not have to, it doesn't have to be sold to escom that's now been approved so he said western cape government legislature if you want to go and procure power from IPPs yourself, by all means, go ahead and do that. And that you can see the, the wheel is slowly turning into that more decentralized, deregulated environment to catch up with where some of the, you know, the more developed markets are. And that, of course, in itself, great for capital opportunities, as well as entrepreneurship to start flourishing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and it, it, it can have an, a, a material impact on you know anyone from your mom and pop shop on the corner to who can now actually at least you know, at worst, just cover their own energy costs through putting a solar panel on the roof, to actually using it as an income stream if they mm-hmm. could, if they've got excess power which they can sell into the grid, to big mines in you know which is an issue in in South Africa, but even the rest of Africa where you can now generate power at your own facility um, for internal consumption. It doesn't need to be dirty, you know, dirty fuel, heavy fuel oil or diesel or whatnot. You can now use renewable sources to generate that electricity and ultimately even sell that back into the grid to help a situation like we have in South Africa where we've got generation shortages. So why then in Africa do we have cases like Nigeria where it's, and I've not been, but it's rumored that there's sort of rolling blackouts lasting 18 hours. If these capabilities exist and if they're now economically feasible, what's precluding the world from doing mass adoption rapidly? Ultimately, I think you need the political will because you need often to change legislation and change regulation to enable that, to enable that framework. And you've and, and again, this this change in a market is not a you know it's not a short term change. This is something that's going to take a while to unfold. You know, you're looking at medium to long term, and sometimes uh, at the risk of of of, of you know, talking outside of my expertise, I think politicians have a shorter term time horizon. Uh, I think uh, somebody said earlier, um, politicians' aim is to make sure that they get elected next time. So sometimes when you're looking, when you're looking in a longer term, you need to, you know, you you, you need to kind of maybe take a little bit of short-term pain to get the long-term um, benefits. And so certainly what we've seen, we've even seen it, we, we, we were involved in a power station, not a not renewable to be a gas-fired station in, in, Nigeria, in Nigeria about three or four years ago, which we had hoped would be a, an excellent model that could be then replicated, you know, to open up the sector, more private producers on a kind of large scale. But for various reasons, it just hasn't been the catalyst that we and other investors and other lenders were hoping for. And I think that that's ultimately down to to policy policy changes or, or, or you know, a lack of policy certainty. The other thing for an investor is you want to see a long term. You want to see what's on the horizon. You need to be able to forecast and say, well, there are dozens of opportunities coming down the road, so I'm prepared to put down a factory, build a you know, build an industry. If you don't see that, it's difficult for for foreign investment Capital to be flow. exactly. Okay, um, so if we're looking at where the puck is going, so that we can skate there. It seems to me like distribution or transmission, and I'm still fuzzy on why there's a difference between those words, might be something, um, together with batteries, story. Right. So first on transmission and distribution, the way I always think about it, and I'm, I'm not an engineer, so I, I'm, a, I'm a lay person who's had to understand this, transmission infrastructure are those huge power lines that you see next to the national roads when you're driving to, you know, down to the coast or to the Kruger Park or whatever. Those are those huge kind of massive power lines. The smaller power lines that you see are within a municipal area, within a town, those are distribution lines. Oh, so wholesale and retail. 
Effectively, yes. So the transmission lines send uh, send power into a municipal area, which it then and and then the voltage is altered uh, to to make it uh, able to be consumed in a residential environment, and that the distribution network then transports it to to you or me as the end user uh, in a in a residential environment. So um, that's the difference. Typically, what we've seen, typically globally, distribution's been quite difficult to finance on it with the private sector. It's difficult to finance deals when you're looking at the end user only, and you can imagine because the credit risk on you or me is maybe different to a corporate. Um, not impossible, but less less um, financeable in generation. Transmission lines are somewhere in the middle, so they can be funded in on specific cases, and we've done one or two in a, in in our past year at RMB. But again, it's really been more on the generation side. On the battery storage, that's really interesting. So um, one of the one of the um, the aspects that we think is going to fundamentally change the renewable energy market or is changing the renewable energy market obviously is batteries mm-hmm. so, because as you can imagine one of the criticisms of renewable energy is it's it's not what they call base load power base load power is is, is a generation facility that that operate can operate 24 7 if you're relying on the wind to blow or the sun to shine obviously you cannot you're not Inherently going limited exactly this you know solar is the easiest one to understand once it hits uh, sunset you you cannot generate anymore Batteries change that game. Sorry, and ironically, there's a there's a pattern thing here for the end user because the sun shines while I'm at work. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, so there are certain solar technologies that do have an element of they do have storage uh, inherent to them, but they're they're technologies that have not been included in the RP to date. Sorry, uh, going forward, we, there have been a number of those deals in the renewable energy program. Up, up to this point, but it doesn't look like there's any runway for that technology. It's just considerably more expensive. And as batteries have, have got cheaper and cheaper, the possibility or the probability now of having a solar PV farm, um, solar PV panels are those kind of flat panels that look like glass and or like a dining room table that's made of glass kind of. The, ultimately, those will be combined with battery storage so that you can charge them up during the day and then utilize them at night or in the evening when the, when the South African peak really hits its highest, which is normally in, a la- in, in the evening when people come home from work and want to cook. or and, 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 Geese is exactly right. So in that way, you, with, with, with a combination of, of solar plus battery, you can, you can get that. And have you seen some exciting investment opportunities in the battery space? At the moment, the, the technology is difficult to finance where, we, where it is currently on, on its development curve. What we think the next, um, the next foray will be, and we've seen one or two examples of this in, in some other markets, is a hybrid plant. So where you fund, you're funding a, a solar plant, it's got batteries attached to it, and there may even be a, a third type of technology which supplements that to, in, in case the sun doesn't shine for that day, for example. Mm-hmm. It could be a rainy day or cloudy. And, and then you can take a holistic view on how much of that is fundable. Uh, so in other words, you can take a view that, look, I can, on the basis of the overall cost of the project, I can lend so much to it. So you are lending to a project that has solar and has batteries, but it might, the, the level of gearing may be slightly lower than if, uh, as a proportion, if, than if it was just the solar. Mm. Do you see what I mean? But I think that, that that will move over time. And there are also, there are a couple of, uh, there are a couple of um, different battery types that are vying for top spot, and they, they certainly have different applications depending on whether it's in the home or whether it's a utility scale plant, whether it's vanadium flow or lithium ion. But and we, and we're waiting to see how that market will develop. But it's 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 upon us. It's going to happen. It's just a question of if it's in a year or three years. But it's going to happen. 
Dan, knowing what you know, uh, seeing what you see and what's happening in the capital markets, the technology development markets, a positive view around the future of South Africa, specifically in the energy space? I think so. I think that, um, you know, certainly the, the government's at a point where, and, and they, they realize this, that they are significantly constra- significantly constrained, right? So the days of funding everything on the government's balance sheet are gone. They just simply don't have that fiscal space. So that is exciting for us as a private sector lender or investor into these projects because they have no other choice but to use independent power producers, but to crowd in private sector investment. So that in and of itself is exciting. Um, it's also it's also useful for government because they effectively outsource all of that risk to to the private sector. If you don't build it on time, we don't have to pay for it. If you don't if you don't build it to spec, we don't have to pay for it. We only pay what you deliver. It's quite simple. You know, we don't have to we don't have to put that on our balance sheet straight away. So so that in and of itself is exciting. And if I look at the integrated resource resource plan which I referred to earlier as the roadmap for South Africa's for South Africa's energy up until 2030 and, and 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 we all accept this is a working document. It's a living and breathing thing. Um there's a lot of thought that's gone into it. It's it's generally very sensible. They've they've kind of they've 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 thought about how coal is going to come off in the future, which was always the plan. How renewables are going to scale up. Um, they know that they have to crowd in the private private sector. They've thought about things like storage. So there's you know I, I think that there's a lot of sensibility that's gone in, in into this into this document. So there is reason to be optimistic both from a societal perspective as well as a financing perspective. That's a very good point because one of the things that they did in this RP, which 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 I think is, which I, I really believe is correct, is that they haven't just said, just go go and build as much solar as you can and go and build as, they've, they've actually artificially limited it, limited that. And a lot Why of people- so, so I think that we, we have to accept that there is a huge um, social risk attached to remo- is moving away from coal. Now, I think it's worth mentioning that moving away from coal is not something that's been invented in the last three years because renewable energy has become topical. This is something that I think was considered, if not in 1998 with the white paper, but certainly in the early 2000s. Um, so there was always an, an, an acknowledgement and a knowledge that that the existing ESCOM fleet is getting older. You, the maintenance costs increase as those mm. some of those plants are 50 years old. Um, that those plants were going to have to be come come you know would have going to have to be taken offline. But the way that our economy is structured and the way that our electricity industry is structured, we need to acknowledge that that just closing you know, five power stations in Mpumalanga is going to have huge social effects. And so this, as, and, and the term's called the just transition from, from a coal-based uh, energy generation capacity over to renewables is going to take a long time, and we need to be very conscious of that social change. We cannot have a situation like in, in certain other towns where, where there was a coal mine you know, many decades ago and now there's 80 90% unemployment. That, that's not sustainable. And so I think the, that the politicians and the bureaucrats have been smart in the way they've designed that. You, you're never going to be able to please all the people all the time, that, that we know. Um, but, but I think that they have been smart around, and around, around thinking around how that's going to work. Well, if our RP goes to 2030, it strikes me as an ideal window within which to retrain people and introduce education measures that stimulate actually the uptake of this new industry that's starting to cultivate. Absolutely. And I think that the key, though, is, is, is to think about jobs not on a 
in a, on a on a countrywide basis. You'll need to think about it in a regional or localized basis as well. And and to the extent that you can you can you know kind of retread certain people's skills mm. from being a you know being working on a mine to installing solar PV panels or maintenance thereof. Exactly, or. exactly. I think that that's the way that, that we need to think about this because, um, as I said, the, the, the social impacts is not something that we can we can just ignore for rands and cents. We need to think about you know, people, you know, how people's lives are affected by these policy changes. So there you have it. Uh, energy of the future in South Africa, some capital insights and also some social purpose behind that. Dan, th- thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Verlamo. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to R&B's On The Verge podcast series. For more solutionist thinking, visit the R&B website.